there and welcome to this Human Life Podcast. My name is Melissa Sanova and this is a hybrid audiobook slash podcast situation where I have been over several months now reading through my book, This Human, page by page. And uh, the intention is to read and then stop and then go deeper into the content and share some stories and some experiences from my from my life and my career as a human-centered designer um, and to bring the content to life a little bit in the book um, beyond words on a page. So we are currently up to page uh, 165 and we're in chapter 6 which is all about emotion and in the last episode we explored empathy and different types of empathy and this episode we are going to hmm, traverse some interesting (laughs) I always use that word as a filler word I have to say it's not well it is interesting but I think I mean tricky domain we'll be talking about duality and the shadow side of the human psyche and Um, how as designers we probably need to spend a little bit more time acknowledging um, that we tend to be a very optimistic bunch of people we design with and for I think sort of constructive intentions and sometimes it's just not what's motivating people to use the services and products that we design with a different um, thought in mind so just building our awareness of those tendencies that we all have within us and I'm going to take you through a exercise that surfaces some of those things so that you can be considering the scenario a little bit more holistically but having said all of that I am obviously am a fan of humanity and I believe in you know that when push comes to shove we are inherently drawn to take care of each other and have compassion for one for one another when we remove the systems that drive behaviors that perhaps are self-oriented or anchored in sort of you know greed and superiority and, and those sorts of things when we take those things away I think well I believe that we inherently want to take care of each other so Let's not lose our optimism, but let's also be a little, what's the word, more open-minded in our consideration of how our our work is going to be used. All right, so that's enough of an introduction. It's a bit longer than normal. All right, let's go. 165. Remember beauty. As technology has enabled us to create quickly and efficiently, we have focused on functional completeness rather than beautiful artistry. Beauty stirs and evokes the heart. Beauty is a pathway to emotional connection. Don Norman, in his article Emotion and Design, discusses the role of aesthetic beauty in the complete design of products. He closes his article with the provocative statement, After all, attractive things work better. Beauty is not just aesthetically pleasing. Beauty exists in many dimensions, like simplicity and elegance. Just as a side note, I would love to hear your thoughts on that statement, by the way. After all, attractive things work better. I'd love to have that as a bit of a discussion, actually. And the perfect place to do that would be 
to head over to thishuman.com and we've created a private community of people who find their way by either via the book or through word of mouth to the This Human ecosystem and we've set up a Mighty Networks community called This Human Community. Yes, we're very creative with names and we're going to be launching that in, in March. So it's a relaunch. So that's exactly the platform to be able to uh, hear from other practitioners like yourself, other people interested in human-centered design. So the links are in the show notes. Anyway, that was a side note. There is beauty in a simple solution to a complex problem and there is beauty in something working so seamlessly it is practically invisible. The practice of beauty comes from the intention to create something truly special, of high quality, which will have lasting impact. It is worth your time and energy to infuse beauty into your work. So the other point that I'll make there is the link between beauty and, and again, I'm not talking about aesthetics necessarily, but the consideration of craftsmanship and longer term thinking. So, you know, crafting something that's truly special, that's of high quality, which will have lasting impact is also exactly the type of thinking that we need um, when we're creating in this world of, you know, short-termism and lots of waste and overconsumption. And it's easy to apply these sorts of concepts to, you know, physical objects like a cup or a glasses case or a pencil case. I'm just looking at things that are in front of me right now. But uh, a lot of the work that we do in human-centered design around, you know, service design or strategic design can be in a very intangible space. So it could be the end-to-end experience of someone going through a service and there might be touch points, absolutely, web pages, you know, um, shop fronts, whatever it might be, that can be deliberately designed in the tangible space. But a lot of the magic happens in between, in between moments. And it really, I've always said that in between the gaps, you know, the gaps in transition from being on the website or on the phone or from, you know, arriving at a place to leaving to your first contact with someone, you know. And when we consider these concepts of beauty whilst considering how to deliberately design for those in-between moments, I think is a way to bring this to life in in your work. Beauty also creates forgiveness. When we really like something, we are more tolerant of its flaws. I'm not suggesting that making something beautiful is a way to hide poor design decisions. What I'm saying is that if you focus on getting the utility and usability of your design right and you design something beautiful, you will create a connection with your customer that is more forgiving and enduring. Emotional design is an opportunity to humanize your work. Now, I've got an entire chapter on emotion because even as human-centered designers, we can get drawn, um, allured by the tangible nature of the functionality of the, the, the thing that we're designing. You know, how is it actually going to be used? What are the steps in the process? And we, you know, sometimes don't spend enough time on designing the emotive aspect of that experience how is someone going to feel what's the what's luscious about that what is what what draws someone in and this whole thing about creating forgiveness I guess you know it's probably a little bit controversial I'm not sure what you think about that statement but when you have an emotional connection with some something you do tend to give it a little bit more space 
when it makes mistakes. <laughs> like, you know, a beautiful fountain pen when it gets clogged, you know, you don't start going, oh, this fountain pen is poo and all that kind of thing. It's just a part of human nature, I guess. But I think it's more, it's not necessarily about its beauty and its aesthetic, but more about the emotional connection that this way of thinking and this way of designing uh, affords you. Okay, we have a quote. We must embrace this duality if we are to be authentic in our practice. All right, so we're going to shift gears a little bit here as we dive into what I'm referring to in the book as duality. And before I dive into the story, because I always tell a story and then read and then realize that I've embedded the story in what I've written. So I'm going to read first (laughs) and then I'll probably tell a story about duality. All right. In chapter one, so we're on page 167. In chapter one, we explored judgments, biases and beliefs. Awareness of these concepts requires an advanced level of self-awareness and presence and it is very important to practice these qualities. I use the term meaningful design often in this book. Meaningful design doesn't mean design for good. Meaningful design means well-considered and full of meaning for the people you are designing with and for. Whether or not those people are good doesn't influence if something is meaningful for them or not. You are completely within your rights to determine if your work is in line with your personal values or not. I actively encourage you to only do work that is congruent with your own values because that is when you will be at your best. But don't make the mistake of thinking that what is meaningful for you is meaningful for others. There are two sides to every coin and multiple perspectives to every scenario. So when I'm talking about duality here, I am kind of referring to this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. And the reason why the the work of this human, <laughs> which is how to be the person that's doing this type of work, is so anchored in self-awareness is because as people who have been drawn to this profession, you're, you're world builders. You create the interactions and experiences of other people. And it's really, really important that you're really clear on who's doing the designing. And a part of that is about the, the self-discipline to be constantly revisiting your beliefs and your biases and, and also understanding what your position is on certain things that are important to you and understand your value systems. And the thing that can get us into trouble is viewing the world in sort of black and whites to be able to, to look at something and say, well, this is the right thing to do and this is the wrong thing to do. It's really difficult to design in a insightful and compassionate way when you are coming from that lens. It also sets up a, a unnecessary power asymmetry in the work that you're doing as well if you're coming from a righteous place. So the reason why I've spent a couple of pages, and this is a huge topic around duality and the shadow self, and it's huge. There are books and books and books and books, and I am by no means a scholar in these topics but I think as I've evolved as a practitioner I've become more and more interested in the role that these concepts play in the way that I go about doing my work and the way that I go about leading people and especially for us who perhaps living in the western world that have access to you know more services and more opportunities 
it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that this is the way the world is for everybody and anything any behavior any construct that is outside of this is is you know it's not wrong but perhaps not the way things should be and we need to be really careful with those thoughts when we are designing for the world because there are multiple ways of living and you know your way may not necessarily be the right way it might be right for you but it might be right for but it might not be right for others anyway so let's talk about the shadow designing for the shadow self in human centered design there is an undercurrent of understanding that we are doing work with good intentions i agree with this and we also need to be careful that we are not letting our good intentions hide the whole reality from us. People have their own intentions that dictate their behaviours. Society deems some behaviours acceptable and others unacceptable. And that depends on the society that you're in, by the way. The perception of these behaviours changes with geographical location, cultural context, age, gender, religion, time, as in era, and timing, as in situational timing, good and bad are arbitrary and definitely subjective. If we are to design for human experience, we need to design for the whole human experience, not just the side we think is good. If we continue to repress a person's need to express themselves in the ways that might not be socially acceptable, we won't build tolerant societies and people will release their frustrations in other ways. Now, I'm currently not in Amsterdam, I'm back in Melbourne, but when I wrote this book, I was in Amsterdam. So, I am currently living in Amsterdam. The city is known to be very tolerant of people expressing themselves in all their glory. It also has a low crime rate. I recently read that empty prisons are being shut down across the Netherlands. The main reasons for the falling crime rate and the empty prison cells are relaxed drug laws, a focus on rehabilitation over punishment and an electronic ankle monitoring system that allows people to re-enter the workforce. It is important to design for the totality of human experience. This includes envy, anger, rage, sexual lust, addiction, violence and voyeurism. Anelia Jaff, a Jungian analyst, says the shadow self is the sum of all personal and collective psychic elements which, because of their incompatibility with the chosen conscious attitude, are denied expression in life. So the shadow self is not necessarily comprised of negative traits. For example, if you grew up being told you were good at science, your creativity might be in your shadow. A gang member may be rewarded for violence and deceit, so their compassion and honesty might be in their shadow. As people who have chosen to design experiences for other people, we need to embrace this duality. Something that is great for one person is not going to be great for another. Only designing for positive experiences really only considers half the picture. Our shadow self influences how we make sense of the world. So it is also influencing our decision-making. Your research must be concerned with understanding not just the norm, but also the counter-scenario or shadow scenario. The shadow scenario is not necessarily a design scenario. It serves more as a sense-making scenario and the insight it offers your design. I just want to say scenario one more time because I've 
said it so many times in the last few paragraphs. <laughs> and a big quote on this page, we're on page 169. The shadow is a universal feature of the human psyche for which we bear full responsibility to cope with as creatively as possible. Stephen Diamond. So there's this a huge invitation here for you who's listening to this podcast to, I don't know if you have a journal that you write in or, or what sort of process you have around self-reflection, but this is a really great opportunity for you to get a sense of what's in your shadow. And again, this isn't necessarily, they're not necessarily bad things. And there's that word again, duality, good, bad. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not necessarily the things that society sort of frowns upon and sits in judgment of. It could be all of the aspects of yourself that you don't express. You know, the repressed wants, needs, desires, expressions that you may have. And the reason why it's a good exercise to do with yourself is, well, because what I, what do I always say, what's inside manifests outside. You can then also see that that side of you also exists in every other human on this planet. So everyone is in the same struggle of finding that, you know, version of themselves that can in, that can interface um, with the current state of society so they can be productive and live their lives in a relatively peaceful and, and healthy way. So there's one exercise and I'm going to take you through this exercise and then finish up. We're on page 170. It's exercise 6.3. Considering the shadow scenario. This process informs your design from a different perspective. When you consider situations where individuals might be motivated to work against the outcome you are designing to create, you are able to address these situations specifically in your design. Step 1. Create a standard customer map. List the participants in an ideal scenario. They will be mostly collaborative and cooperative. Okay. So at the bottom of each of these steps, I've got a bit of an example of the, the sorts of things that might show up on your customer map. You, you might um, think of this more holistically, actually, as a stakeholder map, which are all of the people that directly or indirectly influenced by the work that you're doing. And the example that we're using is about the development of a new service that aims to improve the coordination and distribution of aid to displaced people around the world. So on that map, you may have donors, aid recipients, host communities, aid workers on the ground, agency coordinators, military personnel, transport drivers, existing community groups, emergency response workers, suppliers, government officials, local, regional, national, press, media, policymakers. And when we do a when we do an ecosystem map like this of all of the actors involved or the people involved in the project, we are mapping that out, assuming that everyone's there to do their job as it's intended with the with a you know positive attitude and an open heart. But we know that that's not reality. We know that. So step two is to create the shadow version of that map. So create a second map of participants, but this time consider the shadow scenario. Tip. Other motives which are in the shadow have been observed in history. They should either be considered in the design or dismissed with clear rationale. So what we might have in the shadow side is manipulative donors, 
perpetrators, disingenuous aid workers, resident host communities, territorial religious leaders, bad press or biased media, homeland military personnel blocking aid, competing political and commercial motives, corrupt government officials, dumping or unethical suppliers. So the reason why I'm bringing this sort of shadow scenario concept up as a really important consideration of when you're doing the early mapping of who are all the people involved in this, in you know, that make up the ecosystem surrounding this thing that I'm designing is to just not necessarily to design for that scenario, but at least to be aware of it. If we don't use these sort of thinking in the sense making that we're doing around, you know, what the research is showing us and what the potential solution is, we are at risk of, of designing something that's really naive and that doesn't bode well for something that, you know, stands the tests of time. So another little exercise for you to experiment with in your practice And uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, I'm so thrilled that you're listening and that you're engaging with this work. It's really important work in my opinion. I'm probably a little bit biased on that point, declaring that. If you want to dive in a little bit more deeper into this human sort of community and content, head over to thishuman.com where you'll find all the links to those things. And uh, if you want to reach out and explore one-on-one coaching, then you can do that by going to my website, melissanova.com. There's a whole bunch of options for you there as well. And thank you once again, and I look forward to next week to being with you then. Take care. Bye.